look back on my experience with it. I saw the movie for the first time when I was 15. Uh, we went all as a family to the dollar theater to see it. And I remember specifically, I really wanted to see it because everyone at school was talking about it. I was in ninth grade yeah. and I felt like I was really out of the loop for a while. And it, th that was like the first time I felt like I got to watch a movie because never before had I heard people talking about, oh, you got to see the, the newest Disney movie or, or nothing. It was like, yeah, you just go see a movie when you want to and. No one's really buzzing about it, as far as I remember, in my circles of friends and things. But it was Napoleon Dynamite was the first time that I felt I need to get in on this pop culture. And I, I felt like Napoleon yeah. Dynamite was going to be that. And it has been, for the most part. Right. Welcome, everybody, to yet another episode of The Movies That Move Us. I'm your host, Al Larson. This week, I'm actually joined by my guest and my older brother, August Larson. So, August, besides just being my older brother, he's also kind of been my biggest collaborator and contributor since childhood. You know, you and I, we've always been sounding boards for each other's ideas mm -hmm. and, and comics, projects, like everything. And so... It's kind of been a, a little bit, I've talked with you about, about this podcast for a while. And so it sounds like you, you had like a pretty good idea. And so you knew from the beginning kind of what I was trying to like achieve with this podcast. So today we're talking about a movie that you've told me, you've said that this one's deeply impacted you. You believe it's possibly your favorite movie as well. Is that right? I have said that. And I've told many, many people that when they ask me, what's your favorite movie? Kind of my go-to answer now is Napoleon Dynamite. I say that partially as shock factor and to elicit conversation because I don't think a lot of people are expecting a movie that they can, most people consider to be low immature comedy to be someone's favorite. And yeah. yeah. So, no, absolutely. I think that people, they, they typically associate like, oh, what's your favorite movie with like probably something that is, you know, universally loved or something like um, not necessarily like a big picture winner, but it could be something along those lines of like, oh, if somebody said Saving Private Ryan, some like everybody else would be like, oh yeah, that is a good movie and whatnot. Mm -hmm. But like Napoleon Dynamite, it's, I think most people say it's, it's good. Like they, there's they a hate, there's haters though. There's definitely reason, but they're the majority of people. They, they do like it. And I think that most people would casually say, oh yeah, that's, that's a good movie. But I think that it's really kind of that shock factor and like something like, whoa, why is the, why is Napoleon Dynamite like your absolute favorite? And so I think that that like adds, um, that's that's kind of probably the biggest question that people are going to have about this of like why this movie of all before I jump into some of those questions as well for those who don't know IMDb has listed this movie the synopsis as uh, a listless and alienated teenager decides to help his new friend with the class presidency in their small western high school where he must deal with his bizarre family life back home is there anything that you would like add to that description or change of it? I mean, it it makes sense as a description, but I feel like this movie defies description 
in a lot of ways because it's not about the the overarching story and that's one thing i think is very important about napoleon dynamite as a cultural touchstone is it doesn't need to be one long story it's things are tied together but i i recognize as i watch this that this movie is made up of short vignettes of little slice of life moments and they they're interwoven together sometimes referring back to each other and i recognize that it's kind of like those uh weekly funny paper comics where you've got a story maybe foxtrot or something that's like funny things that are kind of woven together over weeks i would think though napoleon dynamite is probably closer to luann which is like a really boring comic maybe it's so forgettable every portion every uh, daily strip of it is just almost completely forgettable is like what well, that was hardly a joke but that's how it feels watching napoleon dynamite is like what was the point of this what where's the joke it, like family circus kind of uh well that's trying to be too funny i'd say luann is just not interesting <laughs> but napoleon dynamite is taking that and i think evolves the concept yeah you know tell me a little bit more about so you, you said that you you saw this movie when you were 14 or 15 years old i was guessing that i was probably around 12 or 12 and a half so mm-hmm. kind of around there we had like um, i remember that that was like our i think it was our christmas present to the family that we were like we're gonna take you guys <laughs> to this and looking back it's like that that's nothing <laughs> that's so cheap of us but it was uh well i without... think we also bought popcorn for everybody and yeah stuff like that. but it was the dollar theater it's like this cost us six dollars in movie tickets and then maybe six dollars in popcorn and stuff at the time yeah it's like eh, i don't know that i was necessarily spending a ton of money on on christmas presents for everybody at that time either so i can i don't know that uh it was probably i don't know yeah maybe maybe we did count it as like hey we we got everybody's gift done with that um maybe Tell me maybe uh, a little bit more about like the context of seeing it and like um, maybe when this movie impacted you the the most. Was it the very first viewing that you feel like it hit you the the hardest or like that cemented it as as like your favorite movie? On that first viewing, I think more than anything, it just clued me into the the pop culture of the quoting of it. All of the, the quotes that came from it. Your mom goes to college. Napoleon, give me your tots. Yeah. And all of these things that people would say, or teenagers would say, probably more than adults at the time. But those, just being part of the, the pop culture and that everyone's talking about this. And I felt like I was part of the in crowd in a way. I was still a little bit of an outcast. But as I have watched it, again and again it's always been impactful in different ways like i'm recognizing that i identify in some ways with napoleon in other ways noticing i know or knew napoleons growing up yeah and 
I actually felt like I got more out of it, like from a philosophical standpoint upon this viewing. Huh. Like it was like, oh, interesting. Tell me a little bit more about like context or impact that, that maybe a scene or something had on you. Well, going back to when what it has impacted me most on over time is recognizing or I should say noticing the ways that Napoleon is like me. We grew up in Eagle Mountain for a, a large part of our life and it felt like I knew what it was like to live in a small town and ride the school bus and maybe even being one of the older kids because we were some of the older kids riding the bus and Napoleon has to get on the <laughs> elementary school bus to get to his high school, I guess, yeah. implying that he lives even farther away or something. Where he lived, it felt familiar, but also his being kind of an outcast, getting picked on and bullied, just being a, a lazy, boring guy. It's like he, he hardly has interests besides maybe drawing and then later dancing. Mm-hmm. He just felt familiar and you could put yourself on him. I think many people can, but I felt like I could, especially mm-hmm. even with like his handmade drawings. It reminded me of some of my early art pieces when I was a bit about middle school age. Yeah. His interest in the fantastical with the ligers and, um, Nessie. Think, yeah, Nessie and just feeling like I've been in those same situations that, mm-hmm endeared me to him as a character yeah upon watching it this time one of the larger things that i noticed was uncle rico is a big part of the whole story and i hadn't really recognized that before yeah he he always felt like oh he's a side character but it's like no he's the quote-unquote villain for this if you could even call him a villain he's Living his own life, but it's getting in the way of Napoleon's living. Yeah, I mean, he's he's an antagonist. Mm-hmm. I mean, he doesn't necessarily have to be a villainous True. antagonist. That's a better... Yeah. A better uh, he's the one there. who's, like, really kind of making some of the stuff happen in Napoleon's life at this time. Exactly. Without Rico entering, it probably would have been even less eventful. And people already call the movie, like, nothing's happening. But I think Rico instigates change in their life as both Napoleon and Kip have to deal with his influence on them. Yeah. And so we know Uncle Rico as someone that he keeps talking about, oh, back in 1982, if, if Coach put me in, we would have won state, man. And he's just living in the past. Yeah. He wishes his high school life could have been different. That would have changed everything. Yeah. And then we see Napoleon actually affect change in high school uh, on his own life as he throughout the movie he's i'd say rather selfish and not interested in other people's lives not not really caring about how other people feel yeah but then he shows how much pedro means to him by putting himself out there he's already a picked on kid And he felt so embarrassed by Uncle Rico giving those bust... uh, Must bust. Yeah, the must bust... Herbal supplements. Herbal supplements. Um, Which, that was lost on me as a kid. (laughs) I'm like, I don't know, whatever. 
but then the the mean girls at school put those all over Napoleon's locker and he feels super embarrassed, even though no one says anything about it on camera. Mm-hmm. So he already feels low at this point, but he feels like he needs to take the risk to help his friend Pedro potentially win the class presidency. Yeah. And though I always felt like that wasn't the point of the movie watching it before, now it felt like it was as it's his moment of I'm going to make my high school life different. Even though none of that is said, there is very little explanation. And I appreciate that about this movie Mm -hmm. because it leaves it up to your own interpretation. But it just seemed like he wanted to or he was learning from Uncle Rico's bad example, you might say. Hmm. Yeah, I I actually did not think about it in that way when I was rewatching it. You know, I was kind of focused a little bit more so on the fact of like, hey, does this movie still hold up by today's standards? It's been 17 years. Like, not just from the, the standpoint of is it politically correct or, or anything like that, but is it still funny? There are some comedies that just, they're way too political for their time. And so it's just mm-hmm. like, these don't matter to us anymore. It's just not so universal and then just, or it's just way too cultural to that, that one moment. If it's like, you know, an eighties movie or something. And it's like, mm-hmm. yeah, this just doesn't really feel like a, a relevant thing. Um, take a probably like Chuck and Larry, for example, mm-hmm. where, you know, that's, it just really doesn't hold up. And, and so it's just kind of like an outlandish premise that people are like, oh, this was like a thing in the past that like. <laughs> Comedy is about a gay situation, like the other movie with John Heater. John Heater. So he was later in <clears throat> a movie with Will Ferrell called Blades of Glory. Oh, yeah, yeah. That was about two men ice skating. And then the jokes they had to deal with of people saying, this isn't natural. Two men ice skating together. And there's someone interviews a, a hot dog stand man. And he's got a bun with two hot dogs in it. And he's uh-huh. like, does that look natural to you? And it's like, that's not an okay joke now. That's just no. like, it doesn't <laughs> hold up at all. And it's just like, that was not even really good at the time, no. but it was, it definitely would not be greenlit today. And so I, I was looking at it from, from that perspective, but also like, is it still holding up and does the quirkiness of it still hold together? I, and I actually do think it, it really does. Like it's, it, it didn't quite resonate for me the same as, as what it previously had, where it was just like, oh man, everybody's talking about this, but it still was, that's just funny to watch the, the little piece of bread on Deb's lip, uh-huh. just like switch around every take. That's just funny. And my son, Neil, he noticed uh, when Napoleon called home asking to be picked up uh-huh. and Kip's on the phone with mm-hmm. him. Kip was making nachos yeah. and there on the table, more and more cheese is added yeah. to the plate. Every cut back to Kip. And yeah. I, I remember seeing that at one point or reading it in a, yeah. a trivia about Napoleon Dynamite, but I forgot. And Neil points it out. There's more cheese on those chips. I'm like, oh, you're right. That's yeah. funny. <laughs> so I think that there, there are some like really good intentional humor moments that still hold up super well. I, I think that just in the fact that it's 
it's about awkward times in high school and I think everybody has has felt somewhat awkward or can identify as uh, you know they they probably don't necessarily think that they are a complete Napoleon mm-hmm. but they do recognize like oh man I felt so embarrassed during this time or oh I was bullied or I was this or that and and they can put themselves into that situation and so I think that it's it's very relatable and that's why it's still uh, still something that that people can actively talk about and and relate to yeah one other point i wanted to make about something i I felt this time as i watched it was seeing not just napoleon's evolution as a character going from selfish to selfless at the end Mm -hmm. but that kip who was just a lazy do nothing kind of guy yeah he was always spending hours at a time on chat rooms and things Mm-hmm. But it was LaFonda's influence on Kip and also Uncle Rico's that got him into being perhaps more responsible for his life as he's uh, mm-hmm. already graduated. Mm-hmm. They don't say his age, but Napoleon's like, aren't you like 32? And it's like, maybe he is. I don't know. <laughs> it, it's not clear. Yeah. But seeing that Kip, you know, kind of gets a job working with Uncle Rico, whereas he was just a lazy guy that did nothing. And now he's trying to earn some money uh, so that he can, he he has a goal to get LaFonda to come visit. And then she changes his life, turns him into the gangsta Kip that he is. And it's so funny at the end, he's just doing all these little hip hop moves and the little (laughs) arm wave. (laughs) Yeah. But he changes because of, the the pushes on his life especially with uncle rico that mm-hmm. upsets things and it's like you got to get a job man you make some money do something with your life and he's like i guess and so he he actually does change his habits and his behavior and so mm-hmm. i think that this was an example to me that uncle rico being seen as an antagonist actually helped push kip and perhaps Napoleon as well, to improve themselves, giving a lesson that the the trials and challenges in your own life can be frustrating. They can be a bodaggett to deal with as you mm-hmm. just want to throw a grapefruit at its head. But the trials that you go through are ultimately for your good uh-huh. and will improve you. And I I don't know if that's the story that Jared Hess was trying to tell with that, like the lesson, but it's something that I got out of it this time upon watching it that I never even thought of. Yeah. And I think that with some of the way that we like tell stories, we, we don't even necessarily consciously think about how it's going to like end and like the, the morals of the stories and whatnot that I think it's just kind of instinctual in the way that we we are always kind of telling stories throughout every single day mm-hmm. where we're telling stories about ourselves or others or whatever and it's just so in like it's just such a part of us that even if that wasn't necessarily his goal it it comes through because it's just so natural for us mm-hmm. do you feel like this is an objectively good movie I would say yes, uh, and I feel that's not a biased opinion. It's not just me that likes this movie. It's it's got wide appeal. 
And I think not just for our generation, but I think it was just very well made. And the, the setting, just all of the, the costuming, I don't know, everything that goes into making a movie, it just is so cohesive and well put together. And I think despite the perhaps quote-unquote lack of a story, it was really well done in the stories that it told because I feel like it's more than one story as it is the the little vignettes throughout. Yeah, and I've actually heard uh, some other people compare this movie in the way that it's kind of a quirky movie that like it seems to break all the rules and get away with it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like it, it's just this combination, like a, like a, as if you were making a big old smoothie and you were just throwing in all these things and you're like, I don't know if these two things or these five things are supposed to go together, but it kind of blends up and it, and it like turns out really well. You know, there was a couple other ones like lost in translation and I've heard, um, I heart Huckabees. I haven't seen either of those two, um, but both of those are just kind of this similar kind of quirkiness. I think that that's why they're notable ones because it's more of a rare situation for it. John Heater, he's been in other movies like Benchwarmers and Blades of Glory, and I don't think that those really saw the same success. Uh, maybe no. maybe some commercial success, maybe it made enough money, but. I don't think that it has lasting appeal. Like, I don't think anybody's keeping a copy of Blades of Glory in their <laughs> in in their bookshelf or you know movie cabinet or whatever. <laughs> it's it's just like oh yeah, like I that's why I see like a million copies of it like at the um, you know at thrift the stores, bargain bin, yeah, yeah or uh, pawn shops. Mm-hmm. And so like it's I think that Napoleon Dynamite is probably more objectively good in the fact that like hey this one has great appeal it had so much success and it still gets talked about even like today yeah i do feel like this movie really channeled a wes anderson feel uh for a different generation perhaps or for a different slightly different audience demographic yeah yeah that it just felt like those awkward moments that were played off without any sort of laugh track or some like saying this is funny you should laugh at it but like Wes Anderson movies there's so often a funny or awkward situation that the actors play off completely seriously mm-hmm. and I feel like the same thing was done throughout Napoleon Dynamite everyone's just like no one's laughing at the like in movie when uh napoleon sends the drawing that he did mm-hmm. of a girl to Cr- trish yeah trish he sends trish a picture to ask her to the dance and it says i spent like three hours doing the shading on your upper lip and so it looks like she has a mustache yeah but she's not laughing at no one is pointing it out in film yeah that oh that looks like a mustache oh that's so funny it's like no she's like ah and her mom's like you know you're going to the dance with that boy and it's just like everything felt so real it wasn't a movie a a 
an a film as much as it was almost a documentary of life in Preston, Idaho. Right. So I had a, another question about some of the characters. Like, I... I think that Napoleon Dynamite is kind of an unreliable character. Like, he's always seems to be lying. You know, mm-hmm. he's telling these kind of far-fetched stories. He he believes in magic. I don't know if he really does or not. <laughs> um, he thinks that there's a liger, and he is always talking up his skills. I don't know if that's just because he's socially awkward and just trying to, like, well, I'm, I'm cool, I, I can do blah, 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 and it's just like a coping mechanism. Um because it it really does seem like he is a bit more mentally challenged or maybe he could be a little bit on the autism spectrum or something like that um so i'm i'm kind of curious based off of that like he's unreliable and we have a situation at at the part where um, uncle rico is talking with trisha's mom trying mm-hmm. to sell her on on <laughs> different uh the 24 or 32 uh the tupperware pack tupperware, yeah, yeah. But he he mentions like, oh yeah, kids like beat up on Napoleon all the time at school. And that's true. We mm-hmm. see that. Yeah. And then he says, Oh, he like what's what's he still wets the bed and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Do you think that Napoleon still wets the bed in this situation? Um Or is Uncle Rico also unreliable? Like he is unreliable as mm-hmm. well. So I I've always seen it as uncle Rico is lying about that and trying to get Pity sympathy. Yeah. yeah. Just trying to work on her to like, he, he feels bad. And so like, Hey, we're, we're together on this and you're helping out the needy or something. The, yeah. the stupid kids need help or something. I don't know. Or just the, I'm his uncle. I'm staying with him. Mm-hmm. If you're helping me, I'm helping him. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So that's how I feel about that. But I I wouldn't be upset if someone else's interpretation is that Napoleon actually wets the bed because I think we don't really ever see his bed. <laughs> and so... We don't see all the pee stains all over it. <laughs> it's just dripping. Completely just... <laughs> It's just plastic, or like the plastic or the rubber sheets or whatever all over it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's why when LaFonda sees him, he's just like dripping. <laughs> he wasn't actually dancing. He was just peeing his bed. <laughs> uh, so, uh, you know, I feel like there's probably like all the characters are kind of unreliable in their own ways. And that's it's kind of charming that way. They are all fully invested in their own delusions. Mm-hmm. I would say the that Summer and probably Trish are the the straightest of the characters. Like, they they are who they say they are. They're NPCs for any other term. So, just I don't think that they have a lot of character behind them, mm-hmm. and they were just there as almost a prop for the opposition for uh, Pedro forgetting to be uh, president and stuff like that, that there are characters that are just stereotypes of bullies or popular girls that don't have a lot of character. But when we talk about any of the other main characters, they, they all are, I agree, usually unreliable 
they're mm -hmm. telling their own lies, whether internally or externally. So, um, yeah, I'd agree with that. Yeah, and I think that you have to have some people like Summer or Trish or I don't even remember Summer's boyfriend. I don't uh, it's like Vince or Duke or Lance. Lance? I don't remember. Okay. Well, <laughs> um, like they are played off straight. Like the, you have to have straight, uh, straight guys in comedies mm -hmm. just to kind of like play against the against it to heighten how absurd the other characters seem to kind of be acting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. Concerning Deb, who seems like a side character, it is interesting to see who she is and just try to get inside her head. Do, she has a photo stand, but where is it exactly? Is it in the mall? Is it near the mall? And and do they really have a mall in Preston, Idaho or near there? Like, where is this? And... I would believe that it's probably like in her basement of her house. You'd think so. It just, but it's interesting to see her as like, she looks, gives off the energy of a horse girl kind of <laughs> yeah. thing, but she's really into photography, but she's like not great at it, but she, she's convinced that she is. She gets Uncle Rico in an awkward pose and he's, he's feeling it. He's like, yeah, that was really nice. I'm all relaxed. But, and she's like, this is good. This is going to be great. And so she is even perhaps lying, not intentionally, but about her skills as a, uh, a photographer or, or maybe her boondoggle skills. They're just like, you know, it's boondoggles. <laughs> yeah. What about Pedro? He is an interesting character because he is so calm and composed and he's kind of the voice of reason for napoleon when napoleon's like oh who's gonna go to the dance with me now and he feels like I, he's out of options i i can't even think of anyone to go with me basically mm -hmm. and uh pedro says why don't you draw a picture of a girl and give that to her and he's like that's a good idea and and pedro is just uh a good idea guy and he he just mm. kind of just follows whatever comes into his mind mm -hmm. but he's not like wacky outside of just maybe shaving his head yeah for a seemingly no reason but i think that just give gives some more character depth to him showing that he is he he gets overwhelmed easily yeah. with just with that moment, and then later when he uh, is surprising, he he's surprised that he's told, you need to have a skit for the, after your speech. And he's like, what? A skit? I didn't know about this. And so he's like, oh, it's over. I can't do this. And he just kind of fumbles through his speech. Mm -hmm. And so he he's calm and composed until he feels overwhelmed. And so I think he's got a lot of character beneath the surface that we don't get to see a lot of that he's dealing with his own personal things yeah yeah it's definitely easy to believe that like you know as a transfer student you know he speaks spanish he's from juarez mm -hmm. and like he comes over here and he's just he would be like super overwhelmed and it's uh, i wonder if they are trying to like show him as like the um you know exemplary uh, exemplary of the american dream for yeah 
for uh, foreigners, where it's like, hey, you can have all this success. You can come here and, like, you can get the presidency, you mm-hmm. know, albeit from a high school, but, like, you can do whatever you want. You can, like, you can get all the, the success, and it doesn't matter. You don't have to have been here your whole life just to just to see success. Yeah, that, that's a good interpretation of his, the basis of his character. I, I do like that. In this movie, because there's not really a, a real villain, like we talked about, mm-hmm. uh, Uncle Rico isn't really, like, he's not trying to be evil to Napoleon. I think that that's why everybody's allowed to have a happy ending in this movie. Because mm-hmm. even even Uncle Rico, he's just like, he's got his broken arm, he's back at his van, out who knows where, and he's like throwing his football, and some woman comes on, on a bike. I'm I'm assuming that's Tammy, his ex-girlfriend, but they don't really bring her up. So I, I like that everybody is allowed to have that happiness. Like, it doesn't have to go... Like, it, we don't see... Any, like, I don't think we see anybody, like, getting, like, some final kiss or anything like that. Uh, well, I guess uh, Kip and, and LaFonda. But, and that, that's after the credits, though. Before right. Marvel did it. Mm-hmm. We had Napoleon Dynamite paving the way for after credit scenes. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I think that it's kind of nice and redeeming for for even somebody like Uncle Rico who like he gets he gets a measure of happiness. They sure they all like kind of they, they all grow a little like Uncle Rico as much as he's kind of stuck in his ways. He does kind of grow a little bit himself. He he gets challenged by Napoleon. And he's mm-hmm. he's kind of told, hey, you are being a bodaggit. <laughs> yeah. Like you're you're being a turd person and your <laughs> your actions are having bad consequences in my life because of what you're doing. And um and I think that he probably kind of comes to that conclusion after he gets beaten up by uh by Rex Quando. Yeah. It, also I wonder how much of his experience with the time machine that he bought online convinces him that there's no going back that he he tries out the the quote unquote time machine that you put between your legs plug it in and it's just painful in your yeah, crotchal like, region <laughs> yeah and i just love that moment where napoleon's like oh this thing doesn't work and uncle rico comes out of the next room I could have told you that. And he's holding the ice pack to his yeah. to his groin. <laughs> mm-hmm. <clears throat> and then walking awkwardly when they're in the grocery store. Yeah. The next scene. So just funny things that they don't really have a lot of a payoff. And that's life, really, that things happen. And it's not like, wow, that was impactful for everything. It was just like, oh, that's a, a little piece of your own life. And you move past it and you learn from it. Yeah. And I think that as a kid, I assumed that like Napoleon and Deb were like becoming an item at the end. And when I watched it this time, I kind of just considered it like, hey, these two are friends. Like mm-hmm. they were both outcasts before. Um, same with uh, with Pedro. Like all three of them just kind of outcasts and they become really good friends. Like they're just hanging out. And they smile and they play 
uh, tetherball. play tetherball with each other. And it was that moment when they're playing tetherball was uh, a callback, which they don't do too often, I feel, throughout the movie, of um, Napoleon asking Summer, hey, do you want to play me yeah. at tetherball? And she's like, no. And he's he feels alone. And yeah. when Deb accepts that she'll play tetherball with him, when... He doesn't, I don't think he stuck around for the applause after his skit, his dancing on stage. Right, yeah. Because he, he just runs when he feels embarrassed mm. by the music ending abruptly. Yeah. And then he feels comforted by Deb as she's showing true friendship to him. Yeah. When he felt so alone. Do you feel like it's maybe a little unearned for like his dance to like have gotten such a great applause or anything from the school? I would say yes, because that one, that scene is really the one that feels the most movie like of anything. Yeah. Nothing else is there for cheap laughs. I feel very little things are, are built into the movie for that. Like, when we watched it and uh, um, Pedro puts the cake he built for Summer on her porch. And Neil said, my son, he said, oh, she's going to step in the cake. And she doesn't. There's not a, a cheap joke that, oh, gross. Oh, something happened. Mm-hmm. Or um, when any time Napoleon was on screen with Tina the llama, he's like, oh, she's going to spit in his face. It's going to happen. And it doesn't. These things don't happen like a movie. But that scene with the uh, with the dancing and everyone stands up to give him a a round of applause is like, well, that seems unearned. Unless your theory is correct that he is a mentally challenged child at the school, and people are just genuinely happy for him like wow this guy is actually putting himself out there and we all know that he's just the the awkward mentally challenged kid so if that's the case then it makes a little more sense as mm-hmm. people are kind of behind him on this but i i do challenge the idea that he's like the the mentally challenged kid that everyone knows and likes one thing maybe to add to this is that I think uh, this movie impacted me in my appreciation for other slice of life films Mm -hmm. that maybe I wouldn't have been prepared for. Uh, For example, when I was later in high school, we watched Our Town, that stage production. Yeah. And also um, Death of a Salesman. Mm -hmm. And... I feel like both of those are, are very much slice of life. Not a lot happens. There, there is an overarching story to them, but I really appreciated them and enjoyed them when I was in high school that I think Napoleon Dynamite opened me up to appreciating those kind of films and stories. And I think Napoleon Dynamite further influenced film and storytelling for a lot of other movies um, Flight of the Concords may be one of the most popular that I think 
really feels like the awkward guys in a normal situation, but things are just going weird for them. And it, it just kind of has that same energy. Yeah, I think that Take a YTT, the, he had helped to develop and uh, develop that TV show. Um, he's directed some other things like Eagle versus Shark and, mm. and whatnot. It's definitely got like, the same feel. He's got... <laughs> Uh, I think that it's kind of the idea that there are, uh, they always talk about how if Einstein hadn't discovered the theory of relativity, that there were other people who were kind of on the cusp of that, that type of idea. And mm-hmm. then all scientific breakthroughs are, are they're solved by one person. So, it, but that other people have been thinking about those problems when they actually like see journals and, and kind of see what other, uh, other people are, are kind of, um, problem solving in their head so they always say like oh you know what if the Wright brothers hadn't discovered flight somebody else who would was, have been the wrong was, brothers you know yeah they would have <laughs> they would have been in there and like solved it and kind of been there so i think that it's kind of the same idea that take ygt and jared hess they're kind of coming to the same uh, they're they're discovering the same type of thing at the same time just completely different places yeah so one here in uh, Utah and Idaho and the other back in New Zealand. Mm-hmm. So I, and it's great to, to see that they've both had like a lot of success and being able to like get bigger and bigger projects um, that people recognize that, Hey, this, like they can write this kind of dialogue and they can like bring out the, the uncomfortable people and like make them relatable and, honestly great characters that we Mm -hmm. we want to root for and do that not just on the small screen uh, you know like from from low budget indie films but they're they're both putting out big um big uh, not necessarily blockbusters um i guess take take a (laughs) did do uh the thor movie but some Mm -hmm. of his other ones like jojo rabbit it's not necessarily a blockbuster it's not like a big fun summer movie or something like that, but but it was popular. It got a lot yeah, of buzz. Yeah, it's, it's it's a big movie, and Jared Hess he is putting out movies like Masterminds or mm-hmm. um, things like that that are getting really popular. Well, maybe a a funny thought experiment. Maybe if Jared Hess got the opportunity to write and direct a Marvel movie, what characters would that be? <laughs> huh. You know, if if Jared Hess got to direct one, honestly, I would want him to do uh, Howard the Duck. Oh, I never saw that one, but I know that it's uh, panned across the board by many people. I've seen like a third of it and it was it was pretty bad, but there were some like interesting aspects. I think that he would actually have the guts to like make it go full quirkiness. And so I've hmm. I've read some of those comics of Howard the Duck, and they are absolutely hilarious. Like they had hmm. this whole situation where it was kind of like the they were assembling the the Infinity Gauntlet, but it was like the dumbed down version where it was like the fingerless glove gauntlet thing, <laughs> and like it had like a lot less power to it. And so uh-huh. I just love that they dropped the stakes for it and they just made it quirky and i think that jared hess would would honestly do a good job with something like that so in the howard the duck universe is thanos's snap only taking like 10 percent of the population well no it, so it wasn't even like it wasn't 
for something as big as that. It was like, oh, you can like transport a pizza or like it was like <laughs> it was something just dumb. And mm -hmm. I, I don't remember the exact situation, but it was just they they load they lowered the stakes dramatically and mm -hmm. it paid off. My answer would be, I don't remember the what the comic series was called, but we both read this one that was some of Spider-Man's villains, I think like Boomerang and Electro. Okay, what so you're, you're talking about the superior foes of Spider-Man. That's it, yeah. And it was kind of an awkward, just like, these are not... Well, to give it like a little bit of context, it was during like the Spider-Man comic run where... Mm. Um, Dr. Octopus has taken over Spider-Man's body. And so Spider-Man has gone and like, because it's Dr. Octopus, he doesn't hold back against any of the villains. So he beats all of the, the original, um, like uh, sinister six villains to mm -hmm. almost to death, yeah. puts them all in the hospital. And so now you have these other like C tier villains <laughs> who are like, Hey, why don't like, since they're all out of commission, let's be the Sinister Six. Mm -hmm. But there's only five of them. Yeah. And like, they just, <laughs> I, I think that that one would be a good one. I, I think he could do it justice and it would fit in kind of with the alternate stories that Marvel's going for a lot right now. Yeah, that would, that would be a really good one. I, let's I think, pitch it to him. <laughs> uh, okay, well, last, last question. After having just watched it, I mean, you've said so often that this is your favorite movie. Would you still say that? Um, I'll still say it when people ask what your favorite movie is because it's an easy answer. And now, having thought about it more in depth for this podcast, I have better reason to tell them why it's so good and why it's uh, overlooked sometimes. Mm -hmm. But... Deep down inside, I will know that it's not my favorite movie because it, it doesn't have some of those moments that I really love in movies that are like just crazy sci-fi stories that have a twist and mm -hmm. the, the things that were inspired by like the Twilight Zone, which is a big influence on my own kind of storytelling yeah. and other movies that have... I think been inspired by the twilight zone. Mm -hmm. I think those, some of those, whatever they are, I don't have one specifically are probably more my favorite, mm -hmm. uh, but I watch movies that I don't watch movies twice most times. So it's hard for me to say what my favorite is. Mm -hmm. Maybe it would have to be a, a Disney movie or something that I've seen over and over like toy story or emperor's new groove mm -hmm. that, are great movies on their own, but also have deeper meanings for adults too. Yeah. So just ballpark it for like what number in like top 100 movies or something that you'd put it in. Um, maybe in top 50, top 50. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's solid, good movie as I've explained throughout this episode, but I, it's not my most favorite but I appreciate everything about it. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, thanks once again for, for joining me here on the movies that move us. And until next time, everybody, we'll see you later. See ya.